Hey, what up, everybody? Tim Castleman here, and welcome to another special edition of the Two Drink Tim podcast. I tell you, I'm becoming a fan of doing these music-only episodes, and especially when I'm able to land top-shelf, amazing talent guests like the one that I'm about to introduce you to. Ladies and gentlemen, I am blessed and honored to have Kevin from Uncle Lucius here with us today to talk about his new album, talk about life on the road, the creative process of having five amazing songwriters work together, and anything and everything in between. So, Kevin, welcome, my friend. Tim, thank you very much. Uh, you're, you're kind, kind soul. Glad, glad to have you. Now, I got to tell you, before, uh, before we kind of go deep into the musical business uh, about our connection, because we have, a, uh, we have a shared path slightly, and that is that we, uh, we share a mutual friend uh, in the amazing and talented Folk Family Revival Band. Yes. Let me, uh, let me hold on real quick. Let me just pick that name up that I just dropped right there. All right, perfect. <laughs> so uh, they said to say hello, by the way, and they were excited. Uh, they're going to be podcast guests here in the future. Um, but they were the ones that actually first introduced you to us. We, uh, we saw them live and we became friends. And we said, hey, this band, Uncle Lucius, is coming to town. They said, you have to see them. You have to. And uh, I think you were playing at another venue uh, here in Lubbock. We went and checked it out. And halfway through the show, I remember calling them. And it was like, these are the greatest fucking guys ever. You know, and they were like, see, we know good music. So... Uh, and then uh, that that leads to the next part of the story, which is we got to spend a crazy weekend in Houston uh, with those knuckleheads uh, a couple months ago with uh, with you, Lincoln Durham, uh, and everybody playing down there. And I really can't talk too much about that weekend, Statue of Limitations being what they are still. <laughs> uh, but that really brought us to uh, today, which you guys are back here in Lubbock to celebrate the newest release of your album, which is called The Light. Yes, sir. And it has been a journey because this is actually your third album. Looks like you guys are releasing uh, one about every three years, right? It seems so. And um, it's actually our fourth album. Is it really? The did, first did one. Did I miss one? You missed one because the first one we did uh, back in 2006. And, um, you know, we printed a thousand of them. And we essentially did it to get shows. Okay. Because back then you had to send a press kit and some kind of uh, recorded music to each To show venue. that you were official, right. Yeah, before okay. the interwebs were pretty popular. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's our, that was our first one. So we were, this is our fourth studio. Uh, we have one live, so five in all. So what is, the, uh, what is the name of the one studio album that we missed? Uh, something they ain't. Something they ain't. Okay. And how many al- how many songs were on that? Was that an EP or was that there a full album? There were eleven album? on that one. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm gonna fire Spotify immediately <laughs> as my uh, my musical library. And of course, you guys do have the live album, uh, which I didn't reference, but it's probably one of my favorite albums, which is called. Live at the Saxon Pub. That's an amazing album. Yeah. Guys, go grab that. I mean, if you don't have the good fortune of catching Uncle Lucius Live, go check that recording out. It's it's amazing. I mean, it's it's really great. And it's got a lot of the great songs that I love that are on the light now. Like taking in the view that you guys did there live, I think was probably one of uh, the best songs I've, I've ever uh, heard from you guys. It was just amazing. Oh, thank you, man. I, I, I do want to correct you, though, because that was in 2009, and none of the songs from The Light are on that one. Really? I thought yeah. Taking in the View was definitely on there. I promise you. I've listened to that. No, I, least... I didn't write that Okay, until... we're, we're totally going to fight. <laughs> what is, is it not Taking okay. in the There's... View? Holy cow, I am just failing in my musical uh, Keep the Wolves to... Away is on there, and it came out on the 2012 album. Okay, no, I know that one. I, I'm looking. Uh, we're going we're gonna to totally fight this out here, yeah, and I'm probably going to have to buy you some. Saxon Pub, we recorded... Uh... In 2009, uh, December of 2009. 
Hmm. Wow. I could have. I could have swore. I, of course, I can't get it to pull up. But <laughs> I'm. I'm gonna do a post edit because I. I. I'm gonna go with you since you know you wrote all the music and sung it and performed <laughs> it. You probably know better than me. But I could have swore taking in the view uh, was in there. So uh, my my mistake there. All right. Well, let's let's see if I can get this right because I took this directly from your website. You actually have an interesting musical uh, past, and that you were a musical minister. You were a music minister. Is that correct? I was. I um. I actually led the music service in a Southern Baptist church in Gladewater, Texas. Okay, the big city. The big city of Gladewater, Texas. Um, I could sing. It was a small church I went to with my parents, and um, they needed somebody to get up there and tell you what to turn in your hymnal and lead the way, essentially sing and everybody follow. Okay, that's what right. I did. So, so it wasn't like churches of today where there are these huge music productions and they've got you know sound and pyrotechnics and yeah, and water effects and all that. It was it was quite uh, on the other other end of the spectrum from that. Think very traditional. You took out your hymn book. You, yeah, you did your hymns Turn with me. You listened and, yeah. to the preacher tell you why you're going to hell that week. Yeah, you, you went home and felt Fire bad and about yourself. Right. Yeah, yeah that's sure. like a, the the uh, church my grandmother used to drag me to as a kid. It was like that. It was like <laughs> we need your money. You're going to hell. Let's sing these songs. We'll see you next week. <laughs> it's a good learning experience. Yes, yes. It helped me to um, ask the right questions to open the right doors that have led me to here. So, well, you know, and and I definitely want to talk about that because uh, you guys even have it on the website. And as I was listening to the new album, um, it really struck me that you guys are radically different and you're you even say it, you're thinking man's music uh which is very unique for kind of the genre that you guys rightly or wrongly get placed into um but before we get into that i want to talk about the background because what what inspired you to get into music what was one of maybe like the first instruments that you kind of picked up and then talk a little bit about how that led to you moving to austin and creating uh the band uncle lucius yeah, I guess we'll start at the beginning. Um, I could always sing. I think I sang before I spoke. I believe I sang Rainbow Stew, which is a Merle Haggard song. Okay. Standing on a table at Pizza Hut when I was three years old. Holy cow. That's what the, my family tells me. Um, I'd sing along with that, you know. Uh, I could always sing. I was in choir growing up, you know. And then I picked up a guitar about 15. At that time, I was listening to a lot of country. I uh, I was born... Who were your earlier was, influences? Yeah, I was definitely raised on Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings, Towns Van Zant, uh, Don Williams, Merle Haggard, all that Randy stuff. Randy Travis. Oh, yeah. All, all that. Yeah, old I old learned to sing from the radio. Right, okay. You know? Um, so you didn't take lessons at first, you just learned by listening. Exactly. That's it, you know? You're copying what you hear. And... Um, then I got into the blues and I got into rock and roll at the age of 15. I got my first, uh, I got Led Zeppelin 2 on tape and listened to it on a Walkman. Yeah, for and for I you young what? kids, they're used, they actually used to do this thing called a tape and you'd put it in yeah. there and the damn thing, you'd listen to it so much you would eat it and then you'd have to get a pencil out and screw it in there. Oh, ask, yeah. ask your grandparents about it. It was it was a fun time <laughs> for us. Like, like I, I remember tapes and then the big thing for us, obviously, was CDs. Like It was like, oh my goodness, you could you could carry one packet full of all your music and have 50 CDs and oh, you know make, make mixtapes and all that craziness. Yes. So you got started playing playing instruments, singing kind of off the radio, your earlier influences. And then what made you kind of decide like to go from this is kind of fun to, hey, this could be something? Well, you know, I sang enough um, around my friends 
I lived in Northeast Texas at the time. Um, we'd go out on the weekends and hang out at the lake and play guitars. I learned from other friends how to play certain songs, and then we'd keep it going. I'm like, man, I can write a song. Let me start doing that. About age 16, I started writing songs. So a year in, yeah. you're, you're, right, you're already starting to write your own songs. Yeah, and I'm like, well. And they're horrible, by the way. Of course, if I go back as and, every first yeah. song is, I'm sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just kept doing it, and it became a passion. And um, life happened, and, you know, I, I got married at 21. Okay. Uh, got a job as a banker. You know, doing that thing. So you were doing the lifestyle that you thought you were you were supposed to do. Sure, man. I had a home. I bought a new car. Um, things changed. The paradigm shift. Right. You know, and, and it and it it all kind of happened with a divorce, and it led me into well, man, I don't. What am I doing? And uh, there's other opportunities. So, man, well, I want to get out of this place because it's small town Texas. And right. I'm, uh, at the time, I was uh, 23. Okay. I want to get out of here. Um, and two years later, finally, I moved to Austin. I said, okay, I'm done. I quit. I quit my job as a banker. I moved to Austin with a guitar. And I literally started playing open mics. And then at open mics, I would pick up a gig or two. We like what you're doing. Why don't you come back and do your own show? You know, can you fill an hour or two? Yeah, I can do that. And I started playing. And then the next step is, uh, well, the next step is you need to have a band to really get a good gig. So find people that know what they're doing. Surround yourself with people who can play. I've never been in a band. I'd go watch them, of course, in Austin, Texas. And uh, man, I'd really like to be up there doing that. And it just organically happened. Like everything else has happened uh, up to this point. I started the band in 2005, and it was called the Kevin Galloway Band. Of course, it was, you know, my stuff, and uh, I was kind of calling the shots, but uh, myself and Hal Vorpal, the the first bass player for Uncle Lucius, we started the band. He actually picked up the bass to help me out because he he didn't really play bass, but uh, he played guitar and knew enough and uh, just started playing bass, and we found a guitar player and a drummer and started doing it. And then it has, you know, taken many turns and many forms since. Uh, a year later, we called it Uncle Lucius because, you know, it's a band and it's not me. It felt it felt wrong because it's everybody. Right. It's not just the one person making the, the call. Um, and essentially, almost 10 years later, here we are. That's just crazy. There's so many things in there um, that, I mean, here you are kind of living a life that you think that, that you live that, that I think our parents instilled in us. You know, you, you find someone, you fall in love, you get married, you have kids, you get a stable job, you get a house, you get the picket fence, you work for 50 years, one day you wake up, you die on the golf course, you know, and you're like, oh, it was a good <laughs> life. And then like you say, you know, you had a chance at a young age when things didn't, when we, that you bought into that dream, you did that dream for a couple of years, that dream wasn't maybe what you wanted or didn't work out for various reasons. And then you got a chance to say, okay, what is it that I really want to do? And then you took a huge leap of faith to just like, I'm going to stop this stable life and career and I'm just going to go play music uh, in Austin, Texas, which is one of the premier music spots here in Texas. And I would say around the world is known for live music. Sure, man. Uh, that was the place I had to go. And it, it it formed me into what I am today, for sure. So what were some of the big lessons that you kind of learned uh, early on, uh, kind of being in Austin? Because I got to think, that's a, like you said, that's a tough place to cut your chops. 
So, you know, the first thing I learned was uh, the good pawn shops. Okay. The yes. ones that would uh, be pretty lenient with me. Maybe 31 days instead yeah. of 30. I, w- I really would like to get that guitar back. Right. But I do need to pay rent if I'm going to stay in Austin. Uh, give me a few more days. Yeah, you're good. This guy, no, he didn't give me a few more days. Okay, I don't go back there. You know, and so every how, time I'm I, just curious, <laughs> how many guitars did you go through to learn this process? My goodness, man. I, I would at least, I've probably lost four or five. One of them had with a Nelson signature on it. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm sick I for know. you right now. You know, I, it, it hurt a lot worse back then. Now I can let it go, and it's a good story. It's something to laugh about. Right, and you, you probably know <laughs> Willie Nelson, so you're like, yeah, could you just autograph every guitar I own now? Yeah, yeah I'd love to know Willie Nelson. I've, I've never met him. I actually got that signature because he had a show at Stubbs in Austin, okay, Texas. Okay, yep, Stubbs Barbecue. I couldn't famous. afford to get in. Right. I was down somewhere else, probably drinking cheap beers with friends, um, and I had my truck parked down the street, which I'll tell you something about that truck in a moment. Okay. Uh, and he was getting out. He was coming out backstage by his bus. And my friend said, hey, there's Willie. And he was signing autographs for people. I ran to my truck because my guitar was in the back. I grabbed it. I came back. And I was taller than everybody in front of me. And I literally put that guitar over the heads of other people. And I couldn't see him. But he signed it as he was going along. So he just did the whole sign he did, wall, like, and whatever's he just there, I'm signing it. it. You, you got so you got basically a quarter of Willie Nelson's signature <laughs> on that guitar. Yeah. Like I have the W, and you can tell it's his because it smells like marijuana. Right? Yeah, I get it. I get it. So tell me about this truck because now you got me curious. Oh, the truck uh, was the other possession I moved to Austin with. I eventually sold that, you know, just to be able to pay rent. And I've had so I had so many jobs down there. I. I did go. I went 10 years without a vehicle in Austin. Okay. I, you know, you have public transportation, um, friends. Sometimes your girlfriend has a car, which is back then it was definitely, what's your name? Do you have a car? Yeah, yeah. How'd, how'd you get here today? Oh, you have, you have your own vehicle and your own place. Like, what do you think about musicians who like to frequent Pawn Stop? Uh, you know, yeah, that's that's crazy. And that's the uh, that's the old Jimi Hendrix trick, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, man. Back then, I didn't really call myself a musician. I was more of a a guy just trying to make it, doing whatever I could and doing that on the side. I, I The goal was always to make it just a full-time deal. And, you know, that, that only happened four years ago really i've been doing this with other jobs the whole time until about four years ago so i've made it well okay (laughs) that just blows my mind what year did you move to austin i moved to austin 2002 okay so we're talking 13 years later Mm -hmm. and only four years ago so nine years so for nine years you hustled you worked Uh, like what were some of the what were some of the glamorous jobs that you got because i know when you walk in and you're like hi i'm a musician they go ceo material right here right (laughs) i've got some good ones um let's see what comes to memory i've i've pulled fiber optic cable below the Capitol. there's all these tunnels that go on the Capitol grounds okay we had to get clearance you know to go down there and for a summer 
I was down there with a hard hat just pulling the cable through. So how much did you freak out at that drug test and background check? I did. Did you you do one of those fingers crossed things? Like, okay, so what exactly do you test for? Be like, no, no, we're good. Yeah, yeah. What kind of test? Is this a hair follicle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got this. Yeah, I got this. Yeah. Can I get a two liter of everything and uh, start drinking that immediately? You know, I've... uh, I actually worked delivering transmission parts for about two years. That was a cool job because I borrowed, I used the company truck, a little Nissan. Right. And I did three runs a day all over Austin, and I just picked up and dropped off transmission parts. And then when I got back, I would pull the parts from the warehouse, you know, and fill orders. Uh, that was cool because I got to listen to the radio all day and... uh you know, drive around. So it's like built in, built in thinking and practicing and time and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, What is it about part shops? My dad actually uh, used to run one and yeah, they all had the little Nissan, the little four cylinder Nissan that had like a crate for, you know, and it's like a screwdriver for a key or a steering wheel in my dad's case, you know, and it's just like, this can't be safe. And like, Oh, we got it for 50 bucks off a scrap guy. Right. And it's going to last forever. Yeah. It's going to last forever. It has no AC and it's perfect. What you need when you're driving around in Austin. It's kind of like the vehicle I just bought. Oh, really? For the first time in 10 years, I bought a 98 Nissan Frontier. Slow down. Slow down. Yeah. I think you might be letting success go to your head. A 98? <laughs> like, is, tell me, is it the EXL or is it the, uh, yeah. Is it the, did you get fully loaded cloth seats like my uh, my beautiful Yeah, tractor? cloth seats and the AC worked for about four months. Wow. No more. But, no more. you know, it's got windows that roll down manually. Okay. Which is awesome. Nice. Uh, another thing maybe the kids don't know about. Right, yeah, right. That everything's not computerized or run by a button. That, that there was a time when you actually had to pay more to have remote. Yeah. And I don't know about your parents, but my parents refused because it was electronic, so therefore it would definitely break. Oh, yeah. If you need that window down and, and it goes out, if it gets wet and it doesn't work, what are you going to do? Yeah. You manually can do that. Old, old faithful, you know. That That's why our parents were the greatest generation right there <laughs> because they, they would manually crank a window and nobody thought if there's a better way no <laughs> fuck it we'll just keep doing this you know like they've been doing this since the 1800s i'm sure it's fine so how did you kind of meet the uh, the guys that started the band and then now the guys that have kind of formed the band as they are present day so hal and i met in austin um i was hanging out with some guys that were in a band and he was friends of theirs and we had the tie to east texas hal lived in lufkin texas and i lived uh uh, Big Sandy, right outside of Gladewater, Texas. And that's the tie we had. And we just really hit it off. Had a lot in common with uh, the music we loved. And we're both trying to write songs. He's an amazing songwriter, by the way. Um, and he's the only guy that I've ever br- really been able to co-write with. He's like a brother to me still, you know. Um, and that's how it happened. Like I said, it, it, you know, we found the other guys. One of the guys at the transmission parts store knew a guy who played guitar. And he came and tried out, and he was like in punk bands, covered in tattoos, had the Alamo on his chest. So like, okay, you've got cred. Come on in. And he played like a Marshall stack for our country songs. It was awesome. Uh, the drummer, Hal, knew. Both those guys lasted about a year. Uh, Mike, our guitar player now, came in about a year into the, the band. Um <clears throat> He had worked at Threadgills, which is a restaurant in Austin, where I worked for six years. It's the last job I've had. So did I've you just had. hand that job off to him, kind of like the mafia? You made him a made man at the <laughs> yeah. restaurant and said, yeah. here you go, right? 
Friends of friends knew him, knew he's a guitar player. He was in a band that just broke up. He was looking. Organically, that happened. Josh, the drummer now, came in a couple of years after that. Same thing. He worked at the same time with me at Threadgills. And he's got a fro, and he's a drummer, and he's in cover bands playing on 6th Street every night. And uh, our drummer left. We needed a guy. There he was. Worked organically. Um, so this is really like the mob. You got to know a guy to get into the band. You all have to have the same type of work experience. Yeah. Something like that, man. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> and and you guys have been touring nonstop since when? When, when? when did you guys start the heavy, heavy, relentless touring that you guys are known for? So if I can remember, in the beginning, we just started playing in Austin and East Texas because we knew people there. We'd go to Longview, Texas and play, you know, honky tonks for nothing and then we'd play on 6th street for nothing and i guess about three or four years and we really we're like you know we really have to take this show on the road if we're really going to do so it about 2006 2007 yeah. maybe yeah maybe uh i'd say 2007 what well, we started the band in 05 right 2007 2008 we really started going all over texas and then beyond right and i booked us the first four years of the whole deal you know, we managed ourselves and booked ourselves. Why you still have the job? You still have the job. You're the booker, the oh, full-time yeah. booker. Uh, the, you're on the road, what, three nights a week, probably? Uh, Thursday, yeah, Friday? Yeah, you try to do those weekends. The impetus, the goal is to not have to do any of that other side job stuff anymore. So that's your drive. It's like, I'll do anything to not have to do that. You know? And yeah. you, we learned everything the hard way. Right. But you also, I'm sure that work experience helped because you could tell when someone was being legit with you or someone was like, no, you're lying to me. Like it, when you hired, when you got to the point where, hey, we're going to hire a booking agency, you probably knew like these guys knew their stuff or they were going to be aggressive as you were or like these guys are just waiting for us to do all the work and cash a check. You know, really, at the truthfully, the there was always that need for that booking agent and that was our first like, man, we need a booking agent, we need a booking agent. Never worked out. Had people, like, three or four people pass on us. Finally, just a young guy who just got a job as a booking agent in Austin with Nancy Fly Agency. Knew Josh, our drummer, through another college friend or something. Came to see us and, like, man, I just started this job. I'd like to bring you guys on. And we were his first band to bring on with this company. And it stuck. He got let go there. He got hired in Nashville, brought us along with him. Another four years were there. You know, it's just kind of every, organically. Everything, you know, as I talk to more musicians, like that is a very common story inside where it's just like we, we were actually interviewing a band uh, earlier this week and it was like they met at a house party, you know, and it was like someone knew someone to hear and like all the pieces just seemed to naturally, you know, if you ask someone to replicate that, there's no way that you could. They just kind of like you say, kind of fell together uh, organically. Um, now, the thing I really admire about there's, – there's a lot of things I admire about you guys, but one of the things that I really took away from especially reading about this new album and your guys' process is that you know it's not just you. You're not the only creative entity there. That, that actually you got five guys that are really working on the songs and kind of help creating that. So you know, without getting lost, I guess, in the, in the weeds, like – what is your guys' creative process? Is it that you come with a little bit of a song and then you guys kind of sit down and flush it out? Is it people come with completed songs? Do you start with the music first? Like wh when, when you think, hmm, I've got an idea and it might turn into something, like what's your process? You know, like everything else that we've been talking about, it's never 
all the same way. So everything that you said there, I'll say yes to. <laughs> it's uh, Of course, I, I write, and so I'll bring a full song to the table, a few of those, and then we'll get it in with the band, and we'll, you know, we'll make it, as, instead of a singer-songwriter song, it'll become a band song. Or we'll get together with an idea, like Mike is a riff writer, and we'll have his riff, and then we'll work it out as a band, and then the band will be playing the music and then I'll start feeling something and then the lyrics will come over that, you know, that's happened a couple of times. It's doesn't always happen that way. Or Mike will come with a fully completed song. Josh has great ideas, drummer uh, arrangement ideas. So, you know, when we have new ideas, he'll say, let's try this here and try that there. You know, it works out that way. Sometimes Johnny keys is the most prolific writer of us all. He's always playing some kind of instrument and writing a song. He probably has forgotten more than he's ever put down on paper, I think. And so you have that. He he brings full songs to the table. Um, it's it's always a different thing, but it's always being open to any kind of creative process to create a full song, you know, get a full idea. And sometimes it'll be there right away. Sometimes it takes a long time before everybody's like, hey, there it is. You know, yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So, like, from the first time where you guys kind of think of the idea to where you may master it down for an album, I mean, how how many months or years is that process typically for you guys to where you're like, I'm comfortable, I'm happy, I want to put that on an album. You know what? <clears throat> I'll say that the album, it, it is that form when it's recorded, but before it's changing, and then after it's changing. So, like life. It's constantly in flux. It's always moving. Um, this last album, just to give you an example, you know, studio time's not not cheap, so you want to make the most of your pre-production time before you come in. So what we did was we spent, you know, three or four months with a list of songs that we had or lists of ideas, and we just worked on them in the in the rehearsal room. We just worked and worked and worked, and we got it narrowed down. Then we brought the producer in. And he worked with us with these songs like, okay, I like your list. You, you guys have done most of the heavy lifting is what he said. And, uh, you know, then we'd get inside the studio with these 12 songs and we'd sit there and do it. And then it wouldn't sound great. And he'd say, go over to this other end of the spectrum. Try this. And I mean, we're playing like almost punk rock, hard rock song. And then he'll stop us and make us walk away and come back and take us all the way to the other side because he's trying to get our heads out of it and then back to where he wants us to be. So like Don't Own the Right is the example here. It sounds totally different than what we planned on it sounding like those four months we just prior to the studio. But then when we got in there, something happened and we went with it. More different is a little faster tempo, more upbeat, or did you did you plan on or, or think it was going to be slower paced or faster paced? It's more upbeat. It's more. Uh, it's it was more like a country ballad before, and now it's like a straight ahead stomp. You know, uh, it, it just morphed into something that was better than what we brought in, and it fit right with everything else that you have on the album. You don't want the songs to sound alike, right? Uh, Man, one of the songs on the album, we thought we had it, but we had to start all the way over. Uh, a song called Flood Then Fade Away. We were just doing it, and it just didn't have that oomph, you know, that thing like everybody says, yes, it feels right. 
It's actually one of my favorite songs off the new album. You guys nailed it. I really, really love that song. Yeah, Thank you, you. Yeah. And you know what it started with was the drums. Really? Uh, it was, Josh really wanted to have like congas and like that kind of a feel on it. And we, we just couldn't do that that way, the way we were doing it. And so we stopped, took a break. You know, you're, you're very frustrated because you're in the studio and you're like, whoa, we're wasting time and money. And you step away. And then I literally got my acoustic and sat in front of the drums on the floor. And I said, hey, man. And, and he and, and uh, George Reef got together and they worked out this drum thing. And so I started playing the acoustic with that. And then everything else built around that. But once we got it, bam, there it was. And we were able to record it that day, you know? So you so, knocked it out in one day once you once you finally felt like it was right. right but yeah, but it, I mean, and I think that's that's um, a testament that a lot of work goes into these things that people don't see. They just think, oh, you know, okay, they're going to go record for two weeks. It's like, no, for the last three years, we've been living and tuning up this album to get it to the point where we can finally go in and do the studio. Exactly. That's a that's a good thing. I mean, we, we tour all the time, and a lot of these songs we did play live, but they morphed into something because we played them live. That was the goal is to play them live, find out what feels comfortable, find out what the audience thinks, and then, you know, change it up as you go. And like I said, all of these songs will a year from now sound totally different. Not totally, but they'll be a little bit different. We'll be better at them and then we'll embellish. Yeah, because you don't want to play the same thing all all the time, for sure. You know, you mentioned the road, and that's always something that admires uh, that I admire about artists. Is you know, I mentioned earlier, you guys kind of about about every three years are releasing. Like, where the hell do you find the time to to create? to live a life, to write songs, to do all that. When you're on the road all the time, I got to think when you go home on a Sunday or a Monday, all you want to do is sleep until about Tuesday, you know, throw in a band practice if you guys are really feeling ambitious that week, you know, maybe two, and then right back on that. So how do you how do you really get to live that life so you can have those creative um, experiences that you can translate into music? Sure. Well, you're always, <clears throat> you're always writing or... You're always writing, but you, you're not always writing it down. That's the goal, is to write it down. For me, it's always different for everyone. I have ideas, and when they're good ones, I try to catch them and write them down. You know, so you're not you're not like a lot of a lot of studio musicians is the only way where it's like every day you have a writing session. It's not like you're you're sitting down and saying, okay, from seven a.m. to nine a.m. every day, I'm going to sit down and and write about whatever. I don't. Uh, for me, that's forcing it, and it may it. I know it works for other people, but not everybody's the same. So, I I know for me, I just I can't do that. I would probably be a better songwriter if I did do that. But for me, the best ones have come all at once, or they're ones that I get the idea and I don't force it and I leave it, and then I come back to it when the time is right. You know when that. The muse is there, if you will. Right. And you're you're never going to be able to, you know, Neil Neil Young said, writing a song is like trying to, what did he say? I don't want (laughs) to, it's like a tiger in a cage. You're trying to sneak up on a, a, a rabid tiger in a cage and touch it. 
You know, you got to wait for the right moment. You don't just show up every day and stand in front of it. Force it, right? You know, and and the other big thing I think that comes with that is being comfortable and okay in your process. That it isn't like everybody else's, but it's what works best for you and what's what works best for the band. And you're okay if it takes a little longer to get that song out of you because you trust in the process and you know that this is the only way we make the music. That's right. Yeah, that's 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 incredible. Um, Life on the road. I mean, it's got to be fun, exhausting, terrifying, boring. It's got to be all of those things. Uh, how how has life been on the road for you guys? Because you've been touring. I mean, like you say, almost since two thousand eight. I mean, you've been. I mean, in two thousand eighteen, obviously that'd be ten years on the road doing how many shows? Let, let's start there. How many shows a year does Uncle Lucius do? Um, for the last four years, it's been a minimum of one hundred and fifty a year. Wow. You so know, every other day, almost practically on the road. Yeah. And I'm guessing the majority of these are going to be a Thursday through a Saturday. Most of the time, it's your, your three, four day weekends. Right. And then some, you know, when you go out of state, go a little further, you'll do your two week runs. And how far are you guys traveling these days outside of Texas, Oklahoma, et cetera? So it's been a couple of years, but uh, since we've gone far out, but we, we usually go to Chicago and back. Um, you know, we've gone all over the U.S. I guess Chicago's got to have a big musical scene. I, I've talked to a lot of bands that you would not think would get over in Chicago. And they're like, man, Chicago's like our home, like our second home. They have a real loyal fan base there, and they play the shit out of it. And they're just like, yeah, we built up a huge following. And I'm like, Chicago of all places. Yeah, it's fantastic. Because there's, um, there's a lot of working class people there, but there's also a lot of people who just love live music. Right. And it's a big place. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of history there. You know, steeped in the blues for sure. So what, um, without naming any venues, what was the one gig that you're never going to forget, either that it went so well or it went so wrong? And what's been like the craziest experience that you've had out on the road that we can legally talk about in a podcast that's going to be broadcast to tens and tens of people? I mean, millions and millions of people. <laughs> tens and tens, tens of people. Tens and tens, Like yeah. the amount of people that will be at the show. No, Hi, Mom. <laughs> um, you know, I... I get asked these questions quite often and honestly it's so hard for me unless I really sit back with like the guys in the band and we start talking about it again for one to pop out. Right. Because there are so many. Well, you meet some pretty interesting I mean, we you know, I, we mentioned before we saw the podcast, we were graciously enough to uh, to be hosted by Folk Family for a weekend, and we went and went to a couple gigs with them. You know, and by the end of it, I was like, okay, here's my rock star card. Like, I'm not, I'm not ever going to be able to do this. But even the little bit we experienced in that weekend, we were just like, and they were like, yeah, that's a tame weekend compared to you know, like like people who you know are super fans, people that like they had someone that uh, that bought a tour bus. Uh, after one of the shows and like Hamilton was like all right guys i got the bus like get in and they're like we don't even know, know. Oh, like we're not goodness. going in this bus with you jeffrey dahmer like we're not, <laughs> we're not doing that that doesn't that doesn't sound like a safe strategy here <laughs> yeah man it's crazy out there um you know uh, the pump has been primed i i think one of the coolest ones we ever did we did a run in the northeast we played new york city uh, Times Square at BB Kings. Oh wow! We opened for Leon Russell on that run, and uh, that was cool, man. I mean, Leon Russell on Times Square, and we're the opening in BB Kings joint, in yeah, BB King's in New York, yeah, yeah, in New York, yeah. And I gotta, I gotta guess, of course, because I have zero experience, that you know, 
at times, even even at where you guys are today, the road can be kind of humbling because, you know, here um, and especially home, like, uh, you know, I keep going back to folk in, in Houston, but like when they play, they have their crowd, they come, they follow, they have their loyal people. But then, you know, you, you do a show like that. And then the next day you're playing in BFE to three people that are there. And you're like, does anybody know who we are? Like, I mean, does that still happen or is that kind of in the past? It happens all the time. I mean, and that's a good example. Like we played that show. But we're on a run in the Northeast, and opening that show for him, we're not getting paid much. It's just about getting out there in front of people. Right. So we had to hustle, and if there's a day off or there's a chance that we can play another show that day, we're going to go do that on our own. I'll book it separately, you know, or something. That way you don't and have to so, give the percentage right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that next day, we played two shows. One of the shows we opened for him, ah, uh, man, it was two shows in two different states. I think it was like Pennsylvania and Virginia. I don't know. So, I don't, so you, you know. cross state lines in the same day to play two shows. Right. And the first show was to nobody in like a community house somewhere where somebody set something up and maybe the PA kind of works or you work around it, you know, um, and then you go open for Leon Russell. <laughs> wow that's crazy and now you guys are at the point like uh alex your manager he's also he also does the sound i believe for you guys at least he did the last time we saw you and and he does a, a great job so you guys are kind of where you're bringing in your own sound your own vibe you're making sure the experience is is um the same in a way each time as far as the quality and stuff like that um and i, sure. I think that's great um w- one thing i wanted to ask you about the creative process going back to it is like as a musician how do you feel about this new generation of music listeners where they're interested in singles over maybe the whole album, you know, and I remember back in the day, and this is not anything you're going to be able to empathize with me, but I remember one of the first albums I ever got CDs was a Janet Jackson CD. And the thing I remember, I listened to that whole CD is the, the, the whole album was set up to listen as an album you had highs you had lows it was it reminded me a lot as i got older and got to go to concerts it reminded me a lot where you have slow songs you know but the whole album was an experience and how do you feel as an artist trying to recreate that to an audience that maybe is just there to to hear their one or two songs that they like and and not worry about the rest or not take the time to explore the rest so forever it 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 made me bitter but i've learned to accept it that that is just how it is. Um, it's a microcosm for the macrocosm, in my own opinion, is that we are a society. We're a sound by society now. I mean, I think it started in the was it at the early '90s with the 24-hour news cycle, and then that's what the world knows. And so, things, news, and events that happen, they're there for a brief moment. And then they get buried because you're moved on to the next thing. It's like we're, we all have ADD, you know. Um, and I, I, I don't think it's only in the musical realm. I think that it's a human thing, and we just happen to be living in the time when it's happening. And so, it's it touches every 
genre. It touches every aspect of life. So my follow up question to that, and I, I agree 100 percent with you. I mean, it's I even I'm guilty of it. You know, I have three monitors at home when I work on the computer because 17 tabs on one browser isn't enough. I need to have that. You know, I'll I'll watch Netflix while listening to a CD while re- you know, it's like you just are trying to cram so much of life in at any given time. But for you guys knowing that and knowing that you've got less time than ever to make that impression, how do you guys stand out, one, against music that you might get lumped into right or wrongly, um, but also to create that lasting impression and to build those fans? Well, we always write albums as albums. We feel that's the best way to express it. And we feel that we're all still human and that sometimes some people, there are still people out there, I still do it, and I know that there are listeners out there that want to hear a full album, that will take the time to do it. Or those people that only listens to sing, listen to singles, fine, listen to it, but we're going to say something. And even if it's subconsciously getting into your brain, we're saying something, and it's not trivial, it's not... You know, there's this if you've whole, only got one shot, you're going to leave them with a message. Sure, man. You know, there's just a little more substance to it is the intent. Um, you, you always have to ride the balance. Not try to hold on to one thing and then become obsolete because it's passed you by. But also take the old, which is that which made it what it is today. I mean, all the musical history and all the albums when they started making albums, you know, like they're beautiful works of art and they're expressing something bigger than your day to day. And you got to give it a little time. And so it's a, we want it to be a surprise uh, to people maybe who listen to the single. And then maybe that one day they get that chance that Sunday, they get that chance to listen to the whole album. Like, Oh wow, this is a whole album. Because there are less and less people doing that, I think, these days. And not only that, but, you know, you guys have so many diverse songs and sounds on one album. There's enough for everybody. But it's like what I enjoy is seeing the range that you guys are able to do. You're not just the same song. You don't just have a formula where it's like, all right, we put the hook here, the ballad, the, you know, the this. I mean, every song is kind of different. And you talk about music with a message. um, You know, you think about your guys' big hit, kind of what you're known for. You know, Keep the Wolves Away. It's like, you know, that's not like, hey, I met my girlfriend and we went out and partied on a Friday night song. That's like, hey, my dad almost lost his life. I have this incredible pressure to to be the man of the house and and, and you know take care of him why, why, like he did for me. And having that constant fear of like, am I going to be able to do that? And and I mean, it's a great song, but like you say, it's definitely a song that's got a message um, and a different message than probably most listeners are used to hearing. Sure, you know, that's a true story. And there, I mean, that was... I'm glad you didn't say that was totally made up because that would have totally <laughs> killed the interview. But like, and we're done here. <laughs> that was easy to write because it's a true story. Right. Like, um, you know, but but it... it and, you know, uh, just just for the sake of the readers, because obviously I've listened to the album a ton. Uh, you wrote the song, so you know what it's about. But give a little background of that song and what the story is behind that. Sure, man. It's a, it's, it's a blue-collar worker's story. I grew up in Freeport, Texas, surrounded by chemical plants. My dad worked 80 hours a week sometimes, you know. Uh, my mom didn't work, but he's just working hard to give us more than he ever had. And uh, 
you know, he was uh, part of a team that cleaned up spills and went down to Galveston uh, when I was 12 years old to clean up a spill. There's an explosion involved. He should have died. He didn't because he had chemical burns, but the, the best burn unit in the U.S. was across the street there in Galveston. That saved him. Uh, and, you know, life changed after that. He couldn't work anymore. But, you know, he still took care of us. He f- fought like hell to keep the wolves away. And it's always that struggle. And, and, I, and I think about that, like, you know, now I, I, do, I do need to take care of him eventually. My parents, as they get older. But I also want to keep that balance, and I want to do it doing what I love. I don't want to have to go keep the wolves away as a banker just because I'm doing it for the money. I I truly believe that if you you believe enough in yourself and you just work hard enough and just go do it and follow and, and go where the doors are open, that you can do both. You can have your cake and eat it too, but you got to put the work in, you know? Yeah, well, there's no there's no secret except that that is the secret. Just do the damn work. You yeah. know, it's like whenever I talk to bands and they're like, "Yeah, we're not getting booked a ton." I'm like, well, "How many times do you guys practice in a week?" Oh, about once every two. You know, and it's like, "Well, have you got up today before eleven? Have you made some phone calls? Have you hustled?" And and I feel like a lot of artists want to be artists. They don't want to understand, and not even that they have to become businessmen, but they don't want to understand that part of it and realize that. You know, your message on deaf ears is just as as bad as a terrible message on millions of ears. And like the only thing that's going to change that is really going to be your work ethic and and how how far you're willing to kind of spread the gospel, if you will. Sure. You got to be 100 percent into it, man. And and one thing that I I definitely want to hit on um, is the record uh, label and the record deal, because this is what fascinated me. I was on your guys' website reading about the new album, and the whole first half of the article talks about how you guys had a record uh, deal and that you walked away from it and you guys were happy with it. And what confuses me is under the, the, you know, the stuff that I grew up, it was always like, okay, we're going to tour, we're going to tour. Now we got a record deal. Now we've made it. You know, now the big times are coming. And you guys actually are going in a different direction to where this entire uh, album, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, this was all self-funded through crowd support, uh, through pledge music and stuff like that. So I wonder if you could talk about the reasons why you walked away from the the uh, the record label um, as much as you're comfortable with, of course. And then um, the second part to that question is how awesome uh, or exhausting or what was your overall impression of now being able to go to your fans and say, hey, if you if you love us enough, support us in this new album and help us make it. It was fantastic to be able to do that. So 2012, the album that we put out then was on a record label. And, you know, we signed that record deal, I guess, a year prior to that album coming out. And we were touring and touring and touring and needed that help. And we were happy to see it. And, you know, uh, got in there and I think we put out a great album. I'm very proud of it, always. And, you know, you're. we signed a bad deal, a 360 deal. Oh, yeah. So they get a piece of everything. For those yeah. of you guys who don't know, in my limited uh, uh, you know, college uh, writer 101, but 360 means they get a piece of the door, they get a piece of merch, they get, a, they get a piece of everything. It used to be they just got your album, and then when you toured, that's where you made your money. Sure. But now, the way it is now, it's like we're, we're basically getting married, and we get half or a percentage of whatever it is. Sure. 
And you know, did, did I do a good job explaining that? By the you way, did. you okay. did. You did a great All job, right. brother. Good. Um, Wikipedia for the win, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and so that was always like the overbearing thing. On on a lot of that, they were really worked with us. You know, like we're not going to take part of your touring until you get to a certain point. We never made it to that point. Um, but you know, that's always there. It's like when we get to that point, finally, now they're going to just start taking more and more of what's already. If you're doing it, you know, you, you're you going to have other people helping you. So you're giving percentages to your booking agent, your manager, any crew you got. So little by little, you know, you don't get all the money. So you really have to think about that. And it becomes stressful, especially, you know, you're having to work part-time jobs too to do this. So, you know, we got lucky. Um, part of their part of the deal was every time they picked an option, it was like a three-album deal where every time they pick up the option, they have to offer a certain amount to fund the next album. They came back to us with not that amount. So legally, we had the right to say, no, thank you. Because they We're weren't done. holding their part of the agreement out. Yeah, and that's how it happened. Wow. So the, the, the business machinations of the Nashville deal... Turned out that they're like, we'll do we'll do another album, but we're just going to give you the same amount, and we expect the same thing. So we're like, no, no, I think we can raise more on our own with our fans, and have say in everything and own it all. We have enough faith now; we've been touring enough that we can do this, and that's how it worked out, you know. And, and how was that pledge music experience? Because the thing I find fascinating is that you know, um, Blues Traveler they released their album on on pledge, you know, to get it pre-funded. And I'm seeing bands at every level, brand new beginner. Hey, we just put this band together to national recording artists to Grammy awarding winning artists. And so it seems like the the business is kind of going to more of that. Uh, being on the artist side, how was that for you to kind of have to? put your your quote-unquote salesman hat on to kind of put out there, you know, to, to have to offer these awesome incentives and perk to get people to buy. Like, like, how was that process for you guys? Was it easier for you than maybe going the traditional route or was it harder but worth it? You know, it was, it was a bit of both. Uh, uh, it's been a learning ex- experience. Um, it's great because enough people believed in us to fund us and get us more money than that record label had offered us. We're like, yes, we win. And we get to pick the producer and where we're going to produce it. We did that in our hometown. We picked George Reef, an Austin guy we really loved. And we just had that freedom. There was a lot of freedom with that. But with that freedom comes that responsibility to, you know, bring a really good album. Like, don't let it be worse than the last one. And that was all the always the intention. And we feel like we've done the best thing we've ever done with this one. It's just the the evolution of the band and you know, we're better musicians and we have better ears and it just worked out. But the other side of it, the business side of it is you know, I don't know that this platform will be here too long because everything becomes so obsolete so fast. We did it on Indiegogo. We funded it. Um but I'll tell you something we're going through right now. The album came out two two weeks ago. Right. June, June 9th. June 9th. Right. Our vinyl, the first time we printed vinyl, by the way, didn't arrive on our front door until June 9th. So we have, and I'm so thankful, we have 400 packages. That are still waiting that, to go out. 
while we're touring behind this album, like our busiest week of the year was last week. And now we're touring all the time. When we come home, we got to spend that one day just packaging material and getting the right one. And so we're spending five hours doing that because we had to wait on the vinyl, you know, like we couldn't do anything. And then, and then we're learning as we go the the right way to, to put stamps on things. 400 different packages is not an easy thing. You can't just take 400 packages to the mail, oh, to the, yeah. the post right. office. It's just stuff, you know, you, but it's stuff you don't think about. You don't, right? You don't because you're touring. You're doing this thing, like, yeah, we're gonna, we're doing this album. Like we thought about the studio and all that stuff, and then this other end, like, oh man. And so, hindsight being 2020, I would have done that totally different. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're considering, especially as we're, you know, you're thankful as you're packaging things, but you're also like, man. I don't know how I'm going to do this next time, like just like this, you know? Right. But you find that balance. Yeah. No. And I, I mean, I, I've experienced that with several artists that I bought stuff off of. And, you know, it's a blessing, but it's also a curse in the fact that, holy crap, you know, like now we have to fulfill. Like everyone thinks about the money, but they don't think about the fulfillment time and cost and the opportunity costs and stuff like that, which brings us to the album, The Light, brand new been out now what two weeks mm-hmm. um really well received you, you said you guys got some great news about it about the uh about the first week totals that it actually had done significantly better than the last album is that right that is correct uh last album's first week totals um in 2012 compared to this one we have gone a hundred percent over that wow it's a hundred percent increase that's so that's like, absolutely amazing yeah I'm I'm happy right now. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, that's that's a great thing. And for you guys to have that collaborative process and and come up with music, you know, and just even talking with you, like, you know, you're you're not the typical uh, rock star musician, whatever. I mean, you, you you know, you guys quote philosophers and Willie Nelson, you know, in, in these songs. And Willie I mean, Nelson's a philosopher. Yeah, right. Of course, yeah, <laughs> philosopher of life, and uh, you know, any guy who has his own marijuana strain, you know, is like, okay, that guy has made it. But I mean, that's got to be unique to kind of see this vision as you want it presented out to the world with your message and in a way that you guys are comfortable with it. You know, basically you, you got to produce, uh, work with the producer you wanted, you know, get a produce how you want, put the songs on there that you guys wanted. Um, so I got to think that you're pretty happy with this whole process. We really are, you know, and the whole process, like I said, there was a lot of freedom and there, there was openness and we weren't stifled and we put the best thing that we could, best songs we could on this album. And now we just have to be patient because we know that it has legs and it's going to do some walking and it's going to take a while, but it's a great start, but it's only the beginning. You know, we got to get out there and keep on touring and pushing it. Do the radio stuff, do crazy podcasts like this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Get out on the road and, and, and spread the message, which is, is obviously important. What's the what's the one song that means the most to you on this album or maybe to, to the band? What's the one that you're like, if I could only you know, this is I know this is like asking you to pick your favorite child, but the one that maybe you think had the most impact on you or you were proud to like, hey, this is on the album and I, I'm really excited to kind of share this message with the world. You know what I this is for me. I don't know, you know, I don't want to speak for the rest of the band, but there's a song called Taking in the View that I've been telling people it's the best song that ever wrote me. And it's it goes back to that process that I'm talking about, right. my own personal. Man, there's so much subcontext in this song and so much going on. Uh, 
lyrically and everything. But the way it came out was we were on tour and we're traveling like from Chicago. We were going to North Carolina, Asheville. And I think we went via Ohio. Via Ohio. And yeah, that's the, in song the song is coming through, right? Yeah. And like. Sorry, I won't ever sing your no, song that's to okay. you again. You I just, as I did that, I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, the guy knows the lyrics, Tim. He has them down. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's good, dude. But, you know, that song came out all at once while sitting in the van in a hotel parking lot. But it it was the sum of all of my, uh, I don't want to... Maybe maybe my uh, mind gristle, if you will, like everything that's in the back, and it all came out at once. Like I'd been reading a lot of Joseph Campbell, uh, comparative religions guy, mythology guy, uh, real light reading stuff, right? Yeah, oh, he's fantastic, by the way. Um, and I, you know, I, I'd been reading about Asheville, North Carolina, because I'd never been, and I looked it up, and there was a thing this one website talking about retire retirees are moving there because they have this wonderful four season climate. Right. And that made the song rich, four you season know, climate. Right. And, yeah. and the song is based around like Bible characters who have reached their golden years and are in contemplating retirement. And, and that speaks to what I think, as, you know, like the Joseph Campbell thing about, he says, we live in a, the terminal moraine of mythology all of these mythologies are obsolete and they're sitting in our feet and it's time for us to create a new mythology by taking the old and the new and creating something else. So you, like with music, you pay homage to what came before you, but then you create something else with it and then something else happens because of that. You know, it's So you basically take two things that were once individual, kind of combine them and then you get the new, mm-hmm. the new process. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's probably... All-time favorite for me of your songs, probably number one or two. I mean, I, I just, right I love that song. I just, it's one of those songs, like every time I listen to it, I'm like, man, I just love that song. And now I know the history behind it. That's that's absolutely uh, crazy how that kind of came to be. Um, and to even hear you talk about it, it's like, oh, that's when the lyrics, that's that. So, so that's pretty, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, all right. So I know our time is getting, uh, getting light. So I want to kind of, uh, uh, ask you a serious question and then we'll, uh, we'll do some fun, uh, questions to kind of end it up. So if we're having this conversation in a year from now, what do you want to be looking back and, and talking about? So, you know, what, what are you guys looking to do with this new album? You guys are, are known regionally. You know, you guys pack most of the shows that I've been to. Uh, I didn't get a chance to say this, but I want to, I want to make sure this is on, on record. Uh, your guys' Halloween show here in Lubbock that you guys did over at the Blue Light was without a doubt the best show I've ever seen of your guys's and probably top three ever shows. I don't know what it is about that night, but you guys, I don't know if if it was you i don't know if it was a double crown and cokes for a dollar i don't know what it was <laughs> but it was an amazing amazing show and i know that once people get to experience shows like that you're making new fans you're getting out there so with the new album and the, and the road ahead what are you looking to kind of do over the next 12 months or so sure man we're gonna you know we've already planned the rest of the year essentially we're gonna hit the u.s we're going to the west coast in july um we're gonna try to you know, still do a lot of our Texas, Oklahoma, get out there to the, the fans that really know us. And in September, we're going to go to the Southeast. Uh, November, we're about 90% sure of this now. We're going to Europe. Oh, awesome. Okay. Where we have fans. We've had fans for years who 
maybe found out about us or came to the States and saw us. And so we still sell albums over there, but we've never been. And so I'm really chomping at the bit to go over there because, and this is all I've ever heard from my musician friends, it's a different crowd over there. And they're extremely loyal from what I hear. They're loyal and they're actually really listening. You get that here, but it's few and far between. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, I actually had this down and I know we're, we're way over time. So I want to get through this quickly. But, um, you know, well, I talked about the blue light, you know, and to me, that's a music venue. They don't have a lot of distractions. They don't have. A, it's like you're there to listen to music, sit down, shut up, have your drink and listen to music. Whereas you go to other venues like other venues that we're, you know, maybe currently in or that you've done, you know, and it's like music is the secondary thought. It's like, OK, well, where can we put a stage? You know, where can, you know, where can we shove them in the corner to make this work? And, and I think. Um, um, the crowd reacts differently on each one. You know, we were here in the venue that you guys are playing at currently, you know, last year. And, and I'll say not through anything of your guys, but it was one of the show worst show experiences because they were here to hear that one song. And when they heard that one song, they were gone. Sure. And it's just it's crazy to experience that as a fan and see that. I got to think as a musician, too. It's like we have more songs, you know, like we have yeah. more amazingness. It, 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 that's again about acceptance, right? And not become not being bitter about it. And I've dealt with that in many years. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, I'm in rehab. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me end with uh with uh two fun questions, and then we'll get out of here because I know you got sound check and get ready for the show. So you guys are on your way to Europe, right? And uh, the plane uh has an engine failure, and you crash on a des- and it's just you guys. It's just Uncle Lucius. Who's the first one that that doesn't make it out alive? Who's the? You all are healthy. You all arrive there. Who's the? Who's the one that gets voted off the are you island? You trying to start fights? Yeah, yeah. Man? I'm trying to start some. Well, I want to. Yeah. Look, the, the AC album. isn't working right in the van right now. Uh oh. The heater keeps cutting on in okay. the back. So we're we're kind of at odds with each other already just because of that. I nice. don't know that I'm gonna plead the fifth on this. Uh oh. Oh wow. I, I almost. <laughs> I almost. Almost got a good one there. Um. All right. If you weren't doing music, what would you be doing? Man, I would be sitting in the woods contemplating reality. That is what I love to do. It's just think about it and then try to feel it. And and I would also, I think I'd like to be a horse whisperer. That is going to be the most unique answer I've ever heard. We've actually done the woods thing already, but the horse whisperer, that was a, a twist I was not expecting. So, <laughs> Kevin, listen, I know I got to get you a sound check, man. Where can people get the new album and where can they hear and learn more about the tour dates for Uncle Lucius? Sure. UncleLuciusMusic.com. That's L-U-C-I-U-S. Uh, if you just search that online, you'll find that. The, the album is available on iTunes. Of course, it's always available at our live show. We have vinyl and CD. Uh, I believe it's on Amazon.com as well. And then at local uh, radio stores or record stores, the good ones, you know. So. The authentic ones. And mm-hmm. I, I said that was the last one. I lied. Uh, because I always ask musicians this. For people to support live music and to support amazing acts like yourself, what's the best way they can do it? I mean, obviously, go see at a show. You know, you get a percentage of that. But if I said, hey, I want to make the most impact directly to this band to help them the most one-on-one, what's the best way for people to do that? Sure, man. Come to the show and buy merchandise. Buy merchandise. You know, because that goes directly to us and that puts gas in the van. 
Yeah, it gets us to the next. I mean, I've heard I heard them say like it gets us down the road. And one thing I'll tell you, I'm a huge Spotify fan, but something I always do and I'll be doing tonight is, you know, how much is the album? Here's the money. You keep the album, and I'll download it on Spotify. You got your ten. I feel good, and uh, and all works out. So, dude, I I can't even begin to tell you how amazing this uh, this time together was. Thank you for letting me take so much of your time. I look forward to doing this again, and I look forward to watching the road ahead. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I enjoyed myself.